Welcome to the Live Courageously podcast show. I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 49th Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show about two years ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and has been an unconscious theme for most of my life. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear. So let's meet today's courageous guest, Dr. Teresa Lawson. Dr. Teresa Lawson, commonly referred to as Dr. T, is renowned for her enduring commitment to wellness and strength as both the founder of Movement RX and a proud veteran of the Marine Corps. She has lived multiple lives. At 10, she was a caregiver to her dying mother. As an adolescent, an all-star high school, college, and professional softball player, as a young adult, a fitness competition winner, a beauty pageant contestant, and a model, and as a grown woman, a high-achieving lieutenant in the Marines, in charge of an entire platoon while deployed in Iraq. Meanwhile, Teresa, Teresa was battling bulimia nervosa, an internal struggle which ultimately cut short her military service when she was voluntarily evacuated, evacuated from combat. Her journey to, journey to wellness required the bravery to ask for help, to take care of herself first and abandon the idea of perfect. In Warrior, her memoir, she lays bare all the lives in intimate and vivid detail, examining extremely personal and sometimes painful moments, and how by finally accepting the help of others, she learned to make herself whole. From growing up in a log cabin outside of Seattle to facing down the enemy in Iraq, her journey demonstrates that good health and happiness is a daily intentional act that requires persistence and commitment. And she hopes that through sharing her story, she'll help inspire others to empower themselves to embrace their inner warrior and redefine strength and redefine strength. I said that twice, startling and funny, terrifying and triumphant, heartbreaking and inspiration. Her uh, memoir, Warrior, is a story of perseverance and success of a determined woman who is a model for everyone struggling to conquer their own demons. She shows that asking for help can be an act of courage and that we are stronger than we think when faced with seemingly impossible odds. And so having personally navigated the complexities of mental and physical injuries. Her experience has spurred a deep-rooted dedication to helping business owners and leaders face difficulties such as client attrition, employee retention, and scalability issues that can result from their own compromised mental or physical well-being. She created Movement RX and has been honored with the prestigious Force for Good Award, reflecting their unwavering commitment to promoting healthy leadership and organizational well-being. Dr. T and her team are hard at work building the community of business owners and leaders who are resilient, healthy, and happier in all they do. Greetings, greetings, Dr. T, and thank you for joining the show. Hello, John and everyone. Thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Well, uh, usually I ask, I have two questions I ask. The first one is where do we meet? But we haven't met in person yet, but I want to do a shout out to a friend of yours, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Scott Duncan, a U.S. Marine Corps, yeah. and also a podcaster with Power of Our Own Story for connecting us. And I got a chance to just meet him recently, and we just spent a couple of hours talking, and he introduced me uh, and told me a little bit about your story and said, I had to meet you. I had to have you on my show, and uh, that's why you're here today. So uh, a shout out to him. Yeah, Scott's amazing. And everyone I've met has been, like, salt of the earth. So. Yeah, well, he's definitely uh, one of those. And so the second question I asked, since we did haven't met yet, we were meeting online for the first time, really uh, prior to the show and the show, was what does Live Courageously mean to you? 
uh, personally. And, and I talked a little bit about in reading your bio, the different aspects of what courage and bravery is. And it's different mm-hmm. for all of us. You have your own unique experiences. So uh, if you could share that with us, that would be cool. Well, uh, living courageously from a, from a, just, a, just how I describe it, it's, it's almost how I describe being a warrior. It's taking ownership of your life, right? So that looks like speaking up, what, you know, that can look different for everyone, but what does taking ownership look like for me? Speaking about up about the things I want, asking for help when I need it, right? Not holding back, risking it all because it matters, right? Not being afraid to forgive and say I love you. Um, so that's what it looks like. And of course, with living courageously doesn't mean there's that's the absence of fear. That means there still is fear. It just means acting even in the in the face of fear. So. And, and, you know, you have, I know on your page, you talk about an origin story. I mean, obviously your story, and I shared a little bit in the bio, but, you know, that acting in the face of fear for everybody is a little different, right? And and you share in your book, A Warrior, which is available for people to read on Amazon. It's a very inspiring book. You share your unique uh, struggle to overcome. And, it, you know, we think of, of bravery sometimes, you know, you were in the military, you led people in, in, in war that we think of that as bravery, and it is. But then there's the, the, the hidden bravery sometimes that takes even more courage. And that's a little bit of your story. Yeah, I, I would say for most, that's the hardest part is, I mean, I do, you know, warriors, people that join the military who are amazing athletes, right? You would maybe see them as warriors, and they are. Yet there is an underlying um, inner warrior that we all can have. It's if we take ownership of our life. Um, and it is hard to ask for help because of what you think people think of you, right? Um, or the fear of what people will think of you or letting people down, yet really the only person you're letting down is yourself. And at the end of the day, like, why does it matter? You know, ask, for example, asking for help. Um, it's such a vulnerable thing. Like, why is it important for you to be healthy? Right? Maybe you have a family. Maybe you have big dreams. Maybe you have a team you're supporting, right? Or you're you are in combat. Like, so there is there there needs to be a why behind it. Um, and then letting go of the ego attached to it is really important and hard for people to do. Um, you know, I've I've met some big egos in the military and in the business world. I mean, it's it's there. It's there in our world. But I've, I've learned to, the more vulnerable I can be, I feel more powerful and like nothing can stop me. The thing that does stop me is when I start to think, what do people think of me? And, you know, what is this going to, this, this, you know, just even writing my book. I mean, shoot, do you think there were many, many people who did not agree with the message I had who were in my life, teammates of mine, even service members, right? But it's, my story from my perspective and um not all of my teammates in college were my best friends right or even people i worked with and even now but like i had to tell the story that was truthful to me and that was hard when did you you know well we'll we'll talk about the book for a little bit but there's so much more i want to dive into what you just said because you're just so much there um but with the book when did you get the decision to do it? And then 
what did it take you to, like you said, without people wanting the exact message that you wanted to share, what did it take you to get from that initial idea to finally make it a reality, make it a, a, a completion and put it out there in the world to help others? Tell us yeah, a little bit about that journey. That's a good question. Um, so my, I had an idea when I was standing in front of my commander, um, who was our, our battalion commander, and he was, you know, telling, I'd come home from Iraq, and he was just like, I don't understand what happened to you. <laughs> you know, and and I, and, and honestly, I couldn't quite describe it myself. I just knew mm -hmm. that I was not 100%. And I still had not wanted to, I mean, I, I, I knew I was diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I still like couldn't fathom that I had one. Um, and so, but I remember thinking like, gosh, I'm not alone here. Like, I know I'm not the only one struggling with this. I mean, I'm a high performing human being. And once I asked for help, it's when, you know, I seem, I wasn't a high performing human being anymore. And, um, uh, this has got to change. So that was when I decided this was like 2006 or seven, 2007, when I was like, I'm going to write a book about this one day. And then fast forward, I think it was 2013 or 2014. I was asked to do a talk in DC for the National Eating Disorder Association. So I've been a part of the NIDA, it's called NIDA, National Eating Disorder Association, which is a great resource for those of you who do struggle with an eating disorder out there or have a loved one. But they asked me to come and be on a panel, and so I did. And in the audience, there's about a thousand people in the audience, and in the audience was a ghostwriter who had written for television, um, Alan Eisenstock, and he, you know, just heard my story and was like related to it with some of his own loved ones. And was like, I want to help you write your story. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I've, I've been working on a vignette with other colleagues of mine, yet it really wasn't going anywhere. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue on that path. But when he said, let's write it together, your story, it's like, okay, yeah. It's kind of like having a writing coach, like someone who's there mm -hmm. with full time. And he wrote, he interviewed me. I interviewed him to make sure he wasn't like a creep, which he wasn't, you know, just to make sure. And we went back and forth. We interviewed, he interviewed me for about a year. Um, he got all the documents, transcribed the book. We edited it together. Um, we actually had to pitch a proposal first, got it picked up by um, a few uh, publishing houses wanted it, but HarperCollins is the one that ended up with it. Harper One, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. And uh, so, yeah, Alan and I wrote the book together, you know, and it was about a year long journey to include all the editing and whatnot. And then it was launched in 2016. So I met him in 2014, decided to do it in 2015 and then 2016 it was launched and it was quite a process. I mean, I'd never, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, first of all. So it was nice to have that coach. I wanted, it, it was, it was helping me. You know, it was like a bucket list dream of mine to write a book. Um, and it forced me to like develop my own website, which I really don't, you know, I keep up with my, my Movement RX website, but not my, my personal anymore. But it, you know, it forced me to do social media and start to talk more and more openly. And I started to share my story more. And even though I was really scared to, because I was like, am I, am I going to be judged for this? Embarrassed? You know, I mean, I really put it out there. 
and nobody judged me. I mean, sure, there was, I'm sure some, just look at reviews, but who cares? That's always the case. And the people, the people got it, even though they weren't in my same position. I mean, I had like Navy SEALs tell me they could relate to my addiction Mm. in their own way. And I had other people say, thank you for speaking up about it. So it really was empowering me. It, it real I realized that vulnerability was powerful. Um, I needed to act though. Like I didn't necessarily feel that starting to write the book, but because I took action doing it, even though I was scared, I was like, wow, look at this. And one of the other beauties of it was that I was able to grieve my mom as an adult mm. for the first time. Like a lot happened when I was writing that book. So my mom, my mom passed when I was 10. But I wrote a whole chapter about her, and I mean, I needed to write about her. And like, I hadn't, as a young girl, I mean, I know I grieved, but I really, you know, let it out in the book. And then when every time I read it, I can't have a dry eye. And also, while I was writing the book, my father, who was 69 at the time, passed away. So he never got to read the book to its entirety. So I dedicated it to him. But it was, you know, um, an emotional roller coaster, but a needed one. And like wherever the book went, it almost I didn't really care. I just knew that it was good for me, and I did it for me and my own healing. And and the, the blessing is that other people benefited, which is pretty cool. Very cool. And 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 like you said, a lot of times people don't realize when we talk about courage, or when I talk about courage on my show, or we talk about bravery that the layers and the levels of what it is and for you to a ask for help was such a courageous act. And then to go through that healing process of a writing the book and then reliving that on that and then taking that out in the world. And even though you were facing those fears at the same time and, and doubts and questions and all that human stuff that we go through, you did it. And you also made a point where you talked about how you are high performing uh, human. Um, and I think a lot of times we think of people being super strong and not being vulnerable are just men, but it ain't just men, it's women too. It's, it's men and women who the courage to be vulnerable is yeah. a, a huge step for both of us to be able to do that when we need to do that, you know? So being strong when you need to be strong, but vulnerable when you need to be vulnerable. Yeah. And that I think, you know, your, your book and your message, I think is so powerful for people to read and understand that because there's so many layers to that. And I think you, you offer that in your story. Yeah, life is, I mean, walking, understanding when, I mean, being strong, you can be strong and vulnerable, right? You can be courageous and have fear. There's like, it doesn't, it's not one or the other. Like that, I think that's a very important distinction for people is it's, we live in the and, you know, and, um, I, but I do know. I, I like that. I like that. We live in the end. We live in the end. And the, the truth is, if you take action in your life, right, the motivation and healing will come. But you can't wait for motivation. Like, that's the thing. It, it was not comfortable writing a book. <laughs> so, I, mean, I know. Yeah. I, I've written two and it, it was painful. I, I, yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it, but it's so, once you do it, and, and, and there are pieces of it that can flow well and go well, but sure. it's not easy, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're birthing something. And so, but once you do it, that action keeps 
drives motivation. And you never know who you're going to impact, um, right? Every audience is a little bit different. Every reader is different. Probably when you produce film, right? It's like everyone observes their they have their own filter up. So that is really an interesting aspect of putting yourself out there and why people can hold back from doing it because they're fearful of what people think. Well, no one, not everyone's going to like it. That's just the reality. Um, you could put your heart and soul out there and there are some people that won't like it. But once you accept that, you realize maybe you're going to help some people, probably a lot of people, actually. So it's worth it. Yeah. And, and, and that's that's the other side besides the self. Um, benefit the self-healing especially if you're writing a memoir and you're, and you're going into those issues but you 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 don't know who you're going to touch and and even you know and you don't know whose life that that could be the answer for them to kind of turn it around whatever dark place they're in or whatever um place that they're stuck that your your words and your experience will kind of give them just what they needed that little extra to take that step to take that action to go i I can do this too. I'm able to like heal. I'm able to step forward. That is also really something that came out of it too uh, was, and, and this is what I realized my, my role is now as a leader is to, to let people know that they're not alone and that if, if they know I am vulnerable and can ask for help, they can too. It almost gives people permission right, or other leaders who just aren't putting their health as a priority yet, they're burning out, like things are happening, right? and giving them permission to do something about it um, through my own story and my own actions. And if I can do that for people, I will every day. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, just to kind of move forward, I mean, you come out, you, you go through the experience, you write the book, you take that brave step, you get out there, you start speaking, you start working with, with the group dealing with bulimia and, and you're starting to make an impact that way. When or how did you get the idea to, to start Movement RX? Tell us about that. Uh, where did that come from? And then yeah. what is it and what does it do? So let's kind of get into that for a little bit. And because uh, yeah. obviously you were an athlete when you were young. So there's a little bit of a connection there. But tell us about that journey and how that connects. Well, I'm a doctor of physical therapy by trade. Yet I, I share this, that I'm on the other side of medicine, so the proactive side. And very soon after graduating with my doctorate in PT, I started my company. I worked for a sports performance company in San Diego for a little while, but was not my speed one bit. And, um, and so I was like, you know what? I am going to start my own business. And there, I ha there you have it. So Movement Iraq started, basically, it was an idea that my husband and I had on my honeymoon. <laughs> like, just start your own business. So once we got back, I started it. I even had a veteran friend, like, help me with the website, my first website. And um, what it started with was me being a PT in different um, gyms around San Diego. And then in CrossFit gyms. And I was also speaking for CrossFit on their movement and mobility course. So I got an opportunity to be a presenter and teach all over which was great so it one helped me with my speaking skills and then I got to run a business cash pay business in San Diego however probably like three or four years and right, right around when I launched my book I wanted to focus more on the digital side corporate wellness and like really work with organizations and change their culture yet I was going about it through 
I started with the Navy, so corporate Navy, some of the, the 32nd Street uh, units there. And so we would go in and teach classes. And then I worked with some HR managers at different companies, and they had our program be part of their EAP program. Yet I found that wasn't very sustainable and scalable. And it was hard, right? Like, you know, especially if there's not leadership buy-in, it's hard to make anything happen. And so we were in this stage where, okay, are we going to do the online digital thing or not? And the pandemic hit. So yes, we were. We had to let go of our PT practice. Well, it fizzled out and then it fizzled back in. Like it, it grew post-pandemic, but we decided we're, we're not wanting to run a PT clinic anymore. Like we've got to work in the, we got to change a company culture. Like how are we going to do that? Um, and so I started doing more speaking and more presentations for our organizations and then started doing in-person stuff. And now we basically provide health and well-being consulting to leadership within organizations. So what we do is we help, there's, there's the problems, right? We face, which is burnout, low back issues, musculoskeletal health issues, um, all kinds of things that can impact the trajectory of a company and its growth. And what we do is we come in and help dial in the health and well-being of the leadership to include managers, right? So because they, they, how they show up does impact their people. Oftentimes these health and well-being programs are focused on the employees versus the leadership. And, you know, the leadership, you know, can Im impact their employees up to 70% their mental health, right? It's it, just as much as their significant other, actually, because you spend so much time at work. Yet the, the reality is some of the op tempos of these organizations are so heavy that, you know, they, they shove away human or they shove away people type support, um, like health and well-being initiatives, rest and digest type experiences where like there's retreats or days off or, you know, experiences that will help their people to focus on performance. And that's unfortunate. So there are organizations, for example, um, like Starbucks that have done it well, that it started doing it well at the beginning where they focused on people and performance at the same time. And so, you know, while I was kind of digging a big hole here for myself in terms of here, I'm a PT, I'm trying to help company cultures. How am I going to do that to figure it out? And, um, you know, I worked with all the wrong people, which taught me a lot too, before I worked with all the right people <laughs> in my company and in within organizations. Right. And so, but sometimes that's the thing is knowing who not to work with, mm -hmm. what you don't want is just as important as knowing what you do want. It will help you actually help you get to what you do want sometimes. Um, especially if you're someone that like likes to do a lot of things, right? I, I do, I was a coach and I was a speaker and I was a PT, but like, where is my focus? And so post pandemic, I got very clear on who I'm serving and how. So no longer do we do PT, although we, you know, one of our PTs can do telehealth if someone needs it um, within an organization, right? Our organizations hire us to dial in their sleep, their food, their movement, their mindset training, which is mindfulness and meditation, and then their social support. All of that to say, it creates more human connection. The things that we bring to the table create more human connection with an organization. So we help leaders dial that in for themselves so they can better show up right? They have a more of a growth mindset if they're doing the things we ask them to do and train them to do, right? They're going to 
like respond versus react to the people. They're going to want to help their people, right? And that what can that do is that can help solve the great resignation within an organization, right? That can help bleeds of revenue, like profit loss. That can help a lot of things. That can help interpersonal conflict that's happening within an office space. That can help with help with stress. Yet the problem is a lot of leaders, we get kind of pushed into the HR bucket, if you will, but like we belong in the leadership training bucket, leadership and development, because it's a part of how you show up as a leader, right? And yes, our health and well-being programs can help most people, but it needs to start with the leadership. And if the leadership is not bought in, right, it won't work within the company. And so that's our focus now. And uh, I, let me go. I'm not sure what the connection is. You, you've obviously done a lot and continue to do a lot because you have uh, incredible energy and, and clearly health and fitness is a big part of it. You also were part of an adapt movement. And I don't know, is that something that continues? But I, I do would love to play a video where you share some of what you were doing with that. Tell us a little bit about it. And then yeah. I'll start the video. So that's um, so the arm. There's one arm of our business that's leadership and development. Right with the health and well in the health and well-being space. And then the other arm is the adaptive training. And that's something that Dr. Megan Graff, who's one of our adaptive directors, she takes the lead on and we have a couple coaches. We actually have a, a class that we still run in San Diego across the 1904. So the adaptive training started when I first started my practice actually. I was um, working out in different CrossFit gyms. And I was actually volunteer coaching for a hero, like a warrior class. And the warrior class had uh, veterans that were coming in from Balboa Hospital. And they were there and they were being trained and, um, but, but not very well, unfortunately, you know, not, not in, the, the coaches weren't taking into consideration their major injuries they just experienced. And so I found myself, you know, being an advocate for them. So I'm like, look, I don't think this is the best kind of training for your veterans. I am a big fan of cross. There's different ways you can do it. We don't need to throw hero workouts at them every single time they come train. They just, you know, this individual has chronic migraines. This individual has a TBI, right? This individual has a missing limb. Like they are just coming off of their injury and learning how to use their body again. They don't need to be thrown under crazy amounts of stimulus yet. So there is a time and place for it. So I found myself really advocating for this adaptive community and built a new class elsewhere and um, started to build different classes around San Diego. So there's more opportunities for these athletes. So an adaptive athlete is someone with so someone with an injury where they're not the same as they used to be pre-injury. They have a whole new normal. And, um, and so in my PT practice, again, the arm of our business is, is advocating for adaptive athletes. And that was classes at one point. We did um, classes for the VA, the Veteran Administration. We did classes for Challenge Athlete Foundation. And then we developed a college level course for different universities around the country that have exercise physiology and kinesiology programs. So as much as I want to be involved in that, um, I just don't have the bandwidth. So I'm, I started it and then I handed it over to Dr. Megan Graff who has done an amazing job with it and is growing it. So we get to work with the VA, we get to work with universities across the country and then still have a class in San Diego. And what it does is it makes sure we help 
athletes and health providers who are working with these athletes understand what's next for them after rehab. So go ahead and play the video if you want. All right, I'll do that and then we'll come back to the rest. Um, oh. My name is Dr. Teresa Larson, and I am the founder of the ADAPT movement. I'm very excited to present this movement to the world. Why? Because working with the adaptive population saved my life. I've experienced loss. I've experienced trauma in my own life, and I've seen physical and mental trauma before my eyes, both as a Marine Corps officer, family member, as well as a business owner. Life. We all have the ability to adapt, and I'm very excited to share this movement. It's very near and dear to my heart, but I want the people across the world to embrace and know. 4% of all injuries out there are from trauma. 96% of all injuries are actually preventable. While you can survive any injury, there is a need to adapt or change and accept finding your new one. Everything has become easier for me getting in and out of my wheelchair from the floor or to the bed from my wheelchair. Everything has just became such like an easy, smooth process. Being able to stay physical, keep my body loose, pliable, but also uh, mentally has helped me uh, to get through a lot of my, we'll, we'll use the word for now, demons, uh, and push through a lot of those hard times. Before I was going for the least pain and all I was doing was setting off something else in a different muscle. So just, it's a constant, the workout is a constant. The adaptive movement is constantly making you do the right movements of your day-to-day -day, uh, movements. Adaptive individuals are the most resilient people on the planet. They have accepted and are making the best out of their life right now. They are working to find out how to move and complete tasks versus saying, I can't. We provide expert insights through online training and in-person seminars that coaches and healthcare providers use to better help the permanently injured recover. These insights cover visible and invisible wounds, from spinal cord injuries to traumatic brain injuries to neurological conditions, other neurological conditions, cerebral palsy, multiple sclerosis, those with amputations, salvage limbs, just to name a few. They, uh, they help change the meaning of what fitness means to me. We have, to, we have to just understand what movement and the why is behind each exercise. So when we program for our athletes, we help them understand uh, the whys behind each movement. We provide research and hope as we interview those who become permanently injured and are adapting beautifully. We also interview experts in physical medicine, emotional health, strength and conditioning, and other fields from around the globe. What's so powerful about this is that we're now taking those function, those movements and making them functional movements in the gym, working with these individuals and seeing the, the obstacles that they've overcome and their resilience um, really opened my eyes with sheer will and determination to find a way to really overcome any obstacle. We want to see adaptive tribes in every active community in the nation and across the globe. We want your gym full of athletes with adaptive needs, with coaches who are capable and confident in providing them the same fitness experience as they do those without injury. Nice. Right. 
That's a beautiful video. It is just, you know, just watching it. I watched it for the first time today and just, you know, the, what you created and then passed along and that continues to serve, you know, your, it's just something that empowers people who need that empowerment on so many levels. And so it is a powerful video. So thank you for creating all that for yeah. uh, adaptive uh, needs. Well, the beauty in that too is uh, there's, with the growing movement, we've found um, through the coursework and people we met that, you know, an area we need to be is in the education for coaches and healthcare providers. So those in the college level who want to become healthcare providers or coaches, like understanding how to work with that adaptive community is just a normal part of our population is important versus the specialty course that they maybe get elsewhere. It needs to be part of a curriculum. And so I found just with my background and my company's background with what we do, well, the, the adaptive, working with the adaptive athlete is one thing. The people that are going to be helping them in their life, beyond their medical team, their health and well-being team, need to understand this work too. And so where do we find them? We find them in schools. We find them through fitness training certifications, right? And a CA, CrossFit, university level, um, NASM, ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, all those places. Well, let me uh, ask you, um, you know, because there's, there's different components and you're kind of talking about all the components. So obviously there's the fitness and the exercise and the health component, and the physical rehab component. But then there's the, the, the mental uh, side and the attitude and the mindset and the beliefs and then the mental health issues that are in the middle of all that as well. So it's like all of that makes up a human. It's not just one piece. And you're yeah. kind of involved in all those pieces. So why don't you share a little bit of that perspective and, and what you um, teach and what you coach leaders on all those issues? Yeah. Well, one, I mean, physical exercise, as you, as you see with the adoptive community, is, is helpful for you mentally, extremely helpful. Like, I find most of them do it for their mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, they want to get stronger, but... I mean, I'll be one to admit too, I train for my own mental health. Like I, I know it's good for me and I feel better afterwards. Yes, physically, but also more importantly, mentally. Um, but I found, so when I was dialing in the message for, and, and the way I help individuals within organizations, um, you know, I've, I, you know, I know the benefits of sleep and obviously I'm a physical therapist. So I know the benefits of movement and unplanned movement, such as walking all day, you know, being moving more during the day versus just exercise. And I also practice mindfulness and meditation in my own life. And that has really helped me overcome and work through trauma and stress. Um, and then I've seen the benefits of social support. So when I was thinking about, okay, when I go into an organization, really help them. You know, I do talks all over the country. But I'm talking like the work, the products and services I provide a company that really helps people, right? If you read any of Zig Ziglar's stuff, it's like the products and services is what really helps people. Like, how are you going to, like, I don't want to just do a one and done training where everyone's super stoked and then they go back to their normal lives and don't know what the hell to do. So how, I, how do I really want to help them? Well, yeah, I can go into conflict resolution and conflict management and look at, you know, how the operations of the company go. I have a team to do that. But 
the other piece is like, well, how are you showing up? You know, you've got a boss who's completely in left field and then managers who only care about their quota. Like, what's going on here? Like, and then, you know, someone who's in, you know, the corner office who's showing up each day a little late, a little stressed out, but no one's paying attention, right? No one's paying attention. And, and so how are we, how are we showing up? Like, what are, how, how are the people doing? <laughs> let's, let's start there. And so when we start, when we work with an organization, we always do an assessment. We do a leadership well-being assessment and it taps into questions around their sleep, their mindset training. Do they do any? Do they train their mind in any way, whether it's breath work or meditation? How often do they move? Like how many steps do they make a day? How many, and how much moderate intensity exercise do they get? Who are they hanging out with outside of work? Is it just their drinking buddies or is it someone else? Is it, is it other people? Um, and then, so, and then their food. What kinds of foods are they eating? So we ask all these questions and then we collect the data and we look at, okay, so people are chronically underslept, aren't moving enough, right? There's no real mindset training. Maybe one guy does breath work and another does meditation, but it's not really a required thing in the company. So then we start to talk, then we go into a workshop an actual physical workshop with the leadership talking about these components, food, mindset, movement, all these things that you see on the Lifestyle RX actually, which is great. You just put up that link, John. So the Lifestyle RX lists like the major well-being behaviors that you're going to want to dial in in your life. You can click on this link and download it. It's basically something you can put up in your office. Like I've got, you know, a calendar up behind my my computer and it's got a little checklist. What are the top three things you should be doing in those five well-being categories? It's a yes or a no, right? If you're not getting 120 minutes of moderate exercise in, then it's a no. If you're getting 119, it's a no, right? It's a yes or a no. And, and then on the back, there's my favorite mo self-mobilization. So you've got a little QR code. And right, if you got neck issues, shoulder issues, low back issues, right? There's different mobilizations you can do that are fun with a lacrosse ball. Um, I put my 10 favorite mobility drills up there and I want to, like, I want to actually, whoever's listening, help you right now. It's literally something you can print out, put on your wall, take a screenshot, do a video, make a check mark, like at least start dialing one of those things, maybe each month. That's all it takes one at a time. But that's the thing. Like most people have a lot of health and well-being things to dial in. Maybe they have one thing going for them, right? But here's the thing. The reality is, like, a lot of leaders have to decide between health, family, work. They're going to decide work, family, because it's in front of them. Well, styling and health and well-being needs to be part of your lifestyle, but it's not going to happen overnight. And so what we do is one at a time, we take on these well-being behaviors one at a time with the leaders and then have a program attached to it with follow-up and support. And so we do a workshop. We kick it off. You learn to trust me like me and my team, I actually work with a retired Navy SEAL. So we, we work together. And then the next quarter we go and do another workshop that kind of progresses the skills that we just taught you in the previous one. And we do that four different times, right, with an organization. So over the span of a year, we worked in person four different times or more, depending on if it's virtual or in person, but dialing in good health habits and dialing out bad health habits. And it's been amazing for some companies, revenue growth, retention, happiness, <laughs> feeling good. I mean, it's been pretty cool to see. And the, the, but the thing is, like, 
those those five well-being things that we're speaking about, right? It's the adaptive stuff still comes into it. I mean, there are people with lots of injuries, so we we are inclusive to those people, to the people that have disabilities. But at the end of the day, right, we're giving them the gift of human connection. Mm. You're more mindful and you're going to be happier. You're going to be more present. You're not going to be as much of a D-bag, right? <laughs> you're going to pay attention to what people don't say, right? And it's easier to be calm and solve problems when you're a little more mindful. Breath work, right? Getting more exercise, getting more dopamine, serotonin in your body, um, getting those endorphins going. You're going to be happier in general with the things you're up against. And you're putting yourself first which is really powerful. So when you do, when that job does end, you actually can enjoy your life versus drop dead after <laughs> two years because you're so stressed out or you've got heart disease or high blood pressure, but you've never done anything about it because you got to work. You got to take care of your family and you never learned how to dial in your own well-being because you didn't think it mattered until you lost it. And that's the reality. And, and it does matter in your... How did, how did you find, uh, um, I don't know, do I call you Dr. T or Teresa or both? Either way. Teresa. Teresa, okay. Um, uh, how did you find, you know, that during COVID, I think, during the period of COVID, if anything, for some people, or maybe for a lot of people, there was a reversal of that. Because like you're talking about the importance of connection, because connection, uh, uh, people lost connection that human connection and they, and some of them step back physically and some of them step back into better uh, eating habits. And so there was kind of a retreat as opposed to a um, growth forward. So now, you know, even more so, I think people need to move forward. And with your program, you're offering them all those elements that they need to move forward with any time in life, they would have needed to do that, but maybe now even more so. Yeah, people are still struggling, especially the bigger organizations post-pandemic. Um, there's this now hybrid aspect to workers, right? They're at home and or in the office. Um, I just had my best friend just had a baby, right? So she's going to be eventually in the office a little bit and then at home. Um, some companies are forcing their workers to go back full time. Now people are so used to being at home, um, but being at home also causes stress because people don't know how to shut off. So the thing that we're seeing is a lot of burnout, which is a very symptom. It's a symptom of the systemic issue underneath, which is the op tempo of your op tempo of your company is too much for the people to handle. Right? You're asking, like I was just talking to an organization the other day, they're asking their people to do a lot, but they have a lot less people. People have quit and they're still at the same op tempo. So they're not you know, dialing it back for the health of their people. They're keeping it up because, of course, they want money. Sure. Which is, that's the problem, right? You you are in the business of people. If you hire people, you got to take care of your people and help your people. They're not just a product or a number. And so what we're seeing is high levels of burnout because, one, people don't know how to shut off at the end of the day. Now they're emailing at all hours of the day. Right? I've had literally executives emailing me at midnight. When I get up the next morning, I'm like, what? Why is this person emailing me at this? this time of the hour, you know, time of night. They're scheduling. You can schedule an email. But people don't know how to shut off. And when you don't know how to shut off, that can create, you know, the constant fight or flight that you're in. Sure. That is a big one. Like not knowing how to shut off. I mean, I just was at a teaching at a summit with veteran 
a bunch of that are in ERG leads, which are employee resource group leads. And some of these men and women work 14 to 16 hours a day, Zoom call after Zoom call after Zoom call, and then they have to process it. And imagine sitting Zoom call after Zoom call. I get exhausted sitting for an hour. I mean, I just, I hate sitting. And I'm against it. Like, if you want to book a call with me, I literally have on the title of the call, walking call with Dr. T. <laughs> we are going to be walking when we're that's, talking. That, that, that's right. That is great. Um, but yeah, we're seeing just the boundaries of work life. Has, has, there's, it seems to be annihilated. And I know people know that their mental and physical health are important and companies, some companies are paying and paying more for it, but still usually performance supersedes all that. And they kind of throw health and well-being to this EAP bucket. Like, look on, look on our website, we've got an EAP program that nobody wants to do, right? Because it's boring and it's on online. People need human connection. I yeah. do have a platform, but again, nobody needs more virtual platforms. I have it as a resource, but I'd rather work with you in person, John, or your company, right? You get to know me, and then you're like, oh, I get to see you online, cool, versus not even knowing the people that they're working with online. So we're teaching the boundaries, and mindfulness really does help with creating boundaries. We teach in the mindfulness training we do, we teach you how to monotask or single task. One task at a time. You are front and center for me right now, nothing else. Bones off, like learning how to set the boundaries in your own life is really important in this hybrid environment we're in now to shut off. Like even on Sundays, typically, excuse you, John, I'm only here on this podcast with you today. Well, thank you. Completely offline day. Um, but, but that's the thing. You got to have that boundary. And I think people don't, when, they, when they've got peep, their bosses emailing them at all hours, and they've got people underneath them, maybe that aren't doing their job or email at all hours, that there needs to be communication around creating boundaries too. And the culture, so the, 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 the leaders have to set the precedent. And you know what, the reality is you're gonna be more energetic and happier if you work within a certain parameter of hours, because then you have a, you have a life. Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's understanding all those pieces, all that balance, and, and you know, as you say, the, this time it's kind of changed. So it's getting a little uh, different and more complicated for people. But, you know, leaders need to set those boundaries. Leaders should, not that they do, but they should care for their people, right? They should understand that, you know, the most valuable thing is your team and the people who work with you um, in, in your company and in your organization. And, you know, being willing to uh, put their interests uh, first or put, at least put, take care of their interests uh, is crucial to have a great organization. It doesn't always happen. You know that probably better than uh, many. It's, you know, leadership that sometimes that's the maybe the last thing on their agenda or the least thing that they think about because it's all about, you know, whatever. We need to produce this. We need to produce that. We need to produce a profit. We need to produce this. And then the people are kind of like, oh, yeah, the people. Um, Which is really sad. It is. It is. Really sad because we're talking humanity here. I mean, that's the, that's the thing that blows my mind is, I mean, and I have no problem. To, I don't care who you are. I mean, in terms of talking about this, because it's like, when's it ever enough? You know, I mean, we, we, I know companies need to make money. I mean, our company does, right. But at what cost? And 
we need to be true to our vision and live our vision and values. That's important to us. But the people, your people are what make your company run. And, and so if you treat them right and you take care of them, then you really accomplish more. You produce more, but you, you have happy people. You have people who are, you know, enjoying working together to achieve it. And they're not always being stressed out or treated like they're, they're, they're useless um, or they're just being used, you know, which then creates a different kind of uh, stress and atmosphere in your company or in life for them, which isn't, you know, that's not the way the best leadership should be. That's not real leadership. I mean, there's plenty of leadership like that, but you know, you want to emulate the best leadership, not other kinds of leadership. And I think that's what we seem to be promoting. Oh yeah. Well, and a leadership is not a title. It's an action. Yes. So it's, you can, you know, I, I, I'll be completely vulnerable here and say, even when I asked for help in the Marine Corps, um, I considered myself a really good leader for my Marines. But then when I asked for help, I felt like such an idiot. You know, the, the people around me that I was asking for help with did not make me feel like this was a great decision. Sure. And so I questioned my ability as a leader. Over time, I learned, no, that was the best thing I could have done. I was maybe operating at 40 or 50% of my capacity. Could someone have got hurt? Yes. Did someone? know? But I was just hurting myself. But my level of cognitive ability was significantly declined. Uh, and and so it took me a while to realize some of the decisions you make as a leader aren't popular. Right. It was hard for me actually to let go of the adaptive training completely and put it in someone else's hands who could run with it based on bandwidth and time. Like what matters to me is I don't want to be busy like busy, I mean, busy doing important things. Yes, but I want to make sure I always have time for my family. Like I'm not compromising that and myself. Um, this is my life. Like I could be gone tomorrow. <laughs> Can't take your business with you. That's Can't true. Can't take your business with you. And so That's it's like, I can learn that like what really matters. Um, but but point is, is I know I'm a good leader and not, and, and through my actions. Um, and, and even though there were some at the time who didn't think that way, because I asked for help and maybe I should have asked for help sooner. Sure, of course I could have. But I was also trained a certain when I was 22 years old or 24 years old, right? Um, didn't want to let anyone down. Had to be perfect. And um, and so I can forgive myself for that. That's As also you about being a leader is forgiving yourself and forgiving others and moving the heck on and continuing to grow. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not a title, it's an action. And, and like, like you said, and, and being able to forgive yourself and recognize that you're human and you have strengths and weaknesses and, you know, you're not just all strengths, you're, you're also your, your weaknesses as well. And that's part of what makes you who you are, your humanity and acknowledging that and being willing to not, um, you know, come down on yourself for the fact that you have weaknesses. I mean, you know, we all do, we're all unique individuals, you know? We're better at this, worse at that. And, you know, it's recognizing that. And that's how we can get help from other people because we realize, yeah, this person's so much better at this than I am. I don't, that's not my strength. It's my, you know, I, I'd love to have it as a strength, but it's not. So I, I rely on them to have that strength for me because I don't have that strength. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that vulnerability and that acknowledgement. I mean, that's a great lesson that you went through at such a young age, you know, 
Uh, it takes some people a lot longer, to, a lot older in life to learn it. It doesn't matter when you learn it, as long as you learn it and yes. you start to apply it in your life, it's going to be a good thing for you. Yes, it's there's no better time than right now. That's right. That's, I mean, it's, I work, you know, working with all these leaders. I mean, you guarantee a lot of them have put their family on the back burner. Work first, then family, then health. Right. Their health has declined. Their relationship with their kids is not so great as they want it to be. But while that is sad, right, there's there's a grieving that has to happen. Right. Um, it, it's still, okay, well, I know this, and I want to change. I want to grow. So there's no better time than now to forgive, make amends, and build the relationships you need to in the time that you have. You're never too old. And... I think that's really important. And that's part of the permission I give people is like, look, it's, it's, there's no better time than now to take action in your health. Yes, you've got all kinds of issues going on, but let's start working on them little by little versus just waiting until you're retired or a better time because there is no really better time. It's right now. If you got to make amends with an, you know, a sibling, do it. Do it. Do I mean, that's the it. thing. Just take a step forward. It isn't the final step. You're not going to get the end result. But each step forward is a step in the right direction. And if it's a baby step, then it's a baby step. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But it's exactly. a step, right? You know, you're you're going, I need to get this together. I, I acknowledge it. I haven't paid attention to it. So let me take a baby step. And, and then I'll take another step. And, and each time you'll get stronger because you took another step, yeah. you know? And absolutely. so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's... That's what's great. I'm gonna put up your thing once again, just for people who wanna um, contact with it. Here, let me get it up here, and that's where oh. they can reach out to get this. So tell yes. them once again. Tell them about this. Well, I was gonna say one of the questions I always get is like, okay, well, uh, I'm I run a business or I'm a leader in my own, you know, in my own life, um, but it's hard to make time for family, work, and my health. Like that is one of the questions I get. So how do I do it? And so I just want you to know that, well, this isn't the be all end all. I just put together what I felt was three top things that you should be doing in those five key well-being categories. So it's kind of like a roadmap, if you will, of what you what kind of things you can do to help your sleep. The top three things. The top three things that you can think about with food. The top three things you can think about with movement. The top three things with mindset and then social support. So it's a little checklist. But then also 10 of my favorite mobilizations that, again, right, if you're someone who has pain in your neck or shoulder or needs to learn how to self-massage, right, self self do self-mobility, then check this out. Go ahead and download it. You know, it's uh, it's free. Um, it's called the Lifestyle RX. And it has my information on there. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. But I think it's a great free resource that you can put up on your wall and remind you each day of, you know, dial in one of those behaviors a week, a month, and then dial in another one. A little at a time in over a year, you can have dialed in all five of those behaviors and you will be a different person, meaning you will have grown or you can stay the same. It's your choice. I, I, I like the way you just finished that. that it, it, and that's the thing. It's your choice. It really is everybody's choice. And, you know, you, you, you're giving them a great tool and, and great tools that they download it to use. And um, all they have to do is make a choice. 
And, you know, if, if you want to, you know, make a difference in your life or make a change, make a choice. And if yeah. you don't want to, then you make the different choice and things will stay the same for as the way and you'll keep going down that same path. But yeah. you have an ability to change. You just got to make a different choice. And it's not that extreme a choice. It's a small choice. But you have to make that choice. Well, for those, you know, um, number thinkers out there who love numbers, just think about it like this, like getting 1% better a day. That's what this will help you do. 1% better. So over the course of the year, you could be 37 times better. So there's an exponential increase, right, that you have from getting 1% better a day. Or, right, you could do nothing and be where you, exactly where you are. Or, or, you or go, go the work. other direction. Yeah, you could go <laughs> work. So it's really your choice. I mean, on any given day, right, you've got to, it's up to you. And that's where we come back to the living courageously. Living courageously isn't like going out and fighting bears. It's literally putting, being able to dial in this stuff and making yourself important. You matter enough to work on you. 100%. As we, as we wrap up the show, anything else? I know you have other things. You've sent me stuff. You have ideas for the future. You may want to do a, uh, a documentary, a documentary yeah. series. You have all kinds of other projects you want to do, taking <laughs> all the knowledge of your life that, you know, in your young years that you, you've uh, accumulated. But you want to share some of that as we as yeah. we the show. Well, you're John. I I spoke to you about this. I've been working on this docu series documentary over the past year. Um, learn what a treatment was. You know, I've had a couple of producer friends kind of mentor me, and um, it's so how I help fam how I help organizations. This series is around how to help the family unit. Right, I'm I'm a big uh, safety advocate in schools. I'm part of the district accountability committee. I'm in our superintendent's ear, our principal's ear all the time. I'm kind of like the squeaky wheel, probably that's pretty annoying. I don't care um, because I care about safety. And I do believe the health of our country revolves around the family. Like we need to help our families connect. Amen. Um, and so that's why I wrote this documentary series that uh, I don't know what it's gonna turn into. I need, what I need is to find a partner. who's <laughs> like, yes, let's do this who actually is in the production world, John, and- <laughs> Well, we will talk about it, me and you, but- Make it come alive. I'm so interested in reaching out and, and, and learning more about it. Obviously, you can reach out to Dr. Uh, Teresa and um, let her share that with you if anybody wants to partner with us or her or whatever. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but keep going, keep finishing. Yeah, it's gonna be out there. I mean, the idea came up when my book, was published and then a friend of mine who was an actress and became a producer was like, I want to make this into a movie. And I was like, hmm, okay, <laughs> well, sure. I'm not so tied to my story, but what about warrior stories? Yes. And now I'm like, well, if we're going to really save the world, our country, where do we start? Uh, the family. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where the kind of the, the, the pivot happened of let's do this with the family. Well, I agree with that so much. And I think the, the importance of the family is so uh, uh, vital going forward. So you have a great uh, concept, you have a great idea, and you have a great uh, mission and purpose with it. So, um, you know, I definitely think it's a great thing. And we'll talk more further, of course, offline. Yeah. Any any final thoughts as we uh, wrap up and just, uh, you know, finish the show? 
And thank you once so much for being part of it. And thank you for giving me your Sunday hour. So I appreciate that. Oh, yes. Well, uh, I guess the, the thing I would like to leave you with is for those of you out there who need help, right? It takes the courage and strength of a warrior to, to ask for help. So do it and you'll see your life you, you'll see your life grow and blossom. That's the hardest thing is to first ask for help. And over time, it'll become easier to take that first step if you're listening. That is that is living courageously. And for some of you, it's just going to be making sure you get your sleep each day or saying no more. Right? What does living courageously look like for you? For a lot of you, it's probably going to mean asking for help. Well, you can reach out and ask for help. And, and I think the show has been very inspiring. I hope everybody's enjoyed it and is inspired yes. by Dr. T's story and her Thank powerful you. commitment to fitness and health and the family and making a difference in people's lives. So. Uh, thank you once again. Thank you for joining and thank you for sharing all this stuff. And I hope people reach out, businesses and individuals yeah. reach out, download what they can from you, take that action, make that choice. And we'll talk further uh, in the future about what you're trying to do. Once again, Teresa, yeah. thank you very thank much. You. Drink water, everyone. Drink water. Thank Sounds you. Good. Have a great Sunday. Bye. Bye. And once again, I hope uh, everyone enjoyed the show. And if you haven't seen my previous 48 podcasts, with some of my amazing, courageous friends sharing their powerful stories. Uh, you can check them out on YouTube, my Live Courageous, the YouTube channel. And I have another 75 more shows coming up in the future. So join me every Sunday at 2 p.m. and keep coming back. And um, may you make your life a masterpiece and God bless.